Good morning. You may be seated. <laughs> Sorry about that. This is new to me, so uh, just like to say thanks for all the prayers this week. They were uh, very much needed. <clears throat> Breathe. Uh, I've been here, uh, my family's been here 27 years. <clears throat> and the first time I preached, so a little nervous. Uh, if you have a Bible or your phone, uh, let's look at 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. 1 Peter 1, 1 and 2. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God, the Father, and the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ, and for the sprinkling with his blood, may God, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. Let's pray. Father God, we lift this time to you. Lord, I ask that you are front and center. Let these words that are going to be shared glorify and exalt you. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> Sorry, some nerves. <clears throat> I like to use definitions. Helps me uh, visualize, the, um, visualize the word what the word means so I can kind of picture it. I'm a visual kind of individual. And uh, so today's word is suffering. <clears throat> suffering, the state of undergoing pain, distress, and hardship. See, when we hear these, this word, suffering, uh, we think of pain, most of us. At least I do. Um, we think of bad things. And when bad things happen, one of the first things that we naturally do is assume the worst, which I do. I'm always one of those, uh, I'm a negative guy, not necessarily negative, but I always look for what's behind. So a lot of times we ask, why is this happening to me? What did I do to deserve this? I don't have time for this right now. This can't be real. All of us have said these things one time or another. Personally, I've been there. I've been at rock bottom, asking and saying all these things. And so I like to share a story. <clears throat> and if you know me, I have many stories. We all own a mirror, and we don't always like what we see in that mirror. I don't like looking in mirrors because I don't necessarily like what I look. You know, does it make my butt look too big? Does this dress look right on me? You know, not for me, but for you ladies out there. <clears throat> that was pretty funny. The wife told me no jokes today. Sorry, Chris. Uh, as I look back on the mirror of my life, I see a lot of scars. <clears throat> Some self-inflicted by ignorance. For those who known me when I was younger, I did a lot of stupid things. Some by accident. Some I don't even remember how I got them. In that, I'm probably glad being embarrassed at the many possibilities of how I could have got it. Um, most of my scars are external, uh, visible to the eye. Some are internal. Uh, 
hidden from everyone except those whom I uh, trusted and shared. Scars of abuse, some of these also self-inflicted, alcohol, other things. Some are not most caused by ignorance and a series of unfortunate events. Scars are created from a time of pain, distress, and hardship. They represent a wound that is healed, but they are also a reminder of the event that caused it and what we went through. Some of these haunt us because we relive that event every time we see that scar. <clears throat> so my story starts in 94 and goes into 95, and uh, it starts in July of 94. Uh, these are two years that were the beginning of the rest of my life. I say that because it's true. Uh, July 94, I turned 22 uh, on the 9th. On the 15th, um, my best friend drowned and died. On the 25th, um, I had a shotgun accident. I uh, sh shot myself with my 12-gauge shotgun in my right foot. You can laugh, it is funny. Um, seven surgeries, 11 months, in and out of the hospital. My accident left a pop-sized can uh, hole in my right foot. And uh, I had two awesome doctors, though. They saved my foot. I had some awesome nurses, one of whom really wasn't my nurse, but uh, as she, she would come by my room, she'd stick her head in, she'd see how I was doing, she'd be like, hey, I'm praying for you, and I was like, yeah, cool, thanks. And because uh, at this time I was not a Christian, so. Um, so she would swing by, it was like every other day she would come by and, you know, just every day, stick her head in, hey, how you doing? I'm praying for you. And I was like, okay, you know. So I thought that was pretty cool. She didn't even know me. I didn't know her. Um, so I had uh, two surgeries to clean out my foot, clean all the, the debris out and all the garbage that was in there. I still have about 100 BBs left in my foot. Um, I had one bone graft surgery, which left a six-inch scar on the, my hip right here. And if you ever had a bone graft surgery, those are like the most painful surgeries ever. Um, uh, I had three skin grafts. They uh, took skin from my hip or my thigh right here uh, to put on my foot. They didn't take it from my butt like I thought they were going to. And uh, on the, I had one muscle graft surgery, and that left me with a about a 12 to 14 inch scar on the inside of my leg from the, about the mid me, my knee and up. And so uh, they took the muscle out to uh, fill the hole. At this time in my life, I did not know Jesus. I knew who he was. Um, I did occasionally go to church as a kid, um, you know, Christmas. Easter, the, the usual where your parents would drag you. Um, my parents, I kind of grew up, I guess, we went to a Lutheran church. So uh, I did go to VBS as a kid, and I do remember hearing about Jesus. I had some head knowledge of who he was, and that who he was supposed to be, that he was supposed to be the Savior of the world. But I didn't know him as my personal Savior. Uh, 
during this time, I had lost my job. I lost my health insurance. So you could just about imagine what that's like, going through all this. And uh, I had a tremendous amount of hopelessness, helplessness. I was a 22-year-old kid uh, with a lot of problems, a lot of questions, and no answers. Uh, but during all this, I had one friend uh, that was a mutual friend of my best friend who drowned and uh, myself. And uh, he started sharing Jesus with me and my girlfriend. Um, but I just couldn't believe it. it was as easy as what he said it was. I always thought that, man, there's a catch. What's in it for this Jesus? What is it? Uh, so let's fast forward one year, July of 95. Um, I accepted Christ. I was uh, sitting back there pretty much where Miss Julie was. And uh, I walked the aisle on a Sunday evening service, and right in that room, I accepted Christ. Um, the next day, my girlfriend, who is Anne, my wife now, the next day she sub surrendered her life to Christ also. See, there are some pretty miraculous things that happen in this time. Um, the results here, I have to mention first, remember the nurse that I said that come in and prayed, or says she was praying for me. She's actually a member here at Cornerstone, and uh, her name was Donna Dowd, Brian's sister. But I didn't, I didn't know her, but yet uh, a year before she, she was praying for me. Um, Second, the whole insurance thing, I lost insurance. The doctors considered that an experimental surgery, so I didn't see any bills for any of the surgeries. <clears throat> Amen. Uh, now, I know you're asking, uh, what does this have to do with suffering? Well, before Jesus, our pain, hardships, and struggles make us feel like we are drowning Drowning in helplessness, hopelessness, fear, desperation, and uncertainty. Let's look at another chapter of 1 Peter. First, here's a little background. Peter is writing to the Christians that are in Rome, which are also would be the Roman territories. So, as he said in their uh, Galatia, Pontus, Pontus, those territories. And see, these during this time... Nero was the ruler, and if anybody knows anything about Nero, he was a psychopath and just pretty, uh, pretty ugly individual. These believers were just like us. Some new, excited, ready to serve, like gung-ho, let's go, let's get this done. Uh, some were in the middle, forging through they have time. They've been in some battles. They're, they keep moving forward on that narrow path. And some are, were seasoned, seasoned from many battles of life, but yet they were staying faithful. See, in this, as Christians, over time, I've heard a lot of Christians at every stage say things like, being a Christian is hard. I thought my life would be different. Or they say, I didn't sign up for this. 
or altogether they just quit, walk away from Jesus, and never look back. See, life changes, sometimes slow, ever so slight, where you really don't notice it. Other times at warp speed, like neck-breaking, like, what happened? Where did time go? What, what's going on? Friends change. Life changes. People don't look at us the same. We aren't easily accepted anymore. Sometimes just totally, people just totally hate on us because we look at things differently than they do. We're not the same person that we once were. And so they, they hate on us. But there is hope. 1 Peter chapter 1, 1 and 2 said, he says, to those who are elect exiles. Now we may not be part of the dispersion of then, but we are, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you are an elect exile. We are not just part of this world. We are part of heaven. We are citizens of of heaven. We are elect. We were chosen by God. So let's look at 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 12 through 14, so we can see what Peter is talking about suffering. 1 Peter 4, 12 through 14. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when His glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed, because the Spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. See, these verses tell us that we're going to suffer. It's inevitable. We don't get a pass. Just because we're Christians, just because we accepted Jesus, we do not get a pass. Our life is going to be hard at times, but these verses have one thing that they're telling us. Our calling as a Christian is in our response to the suffering. Some of us are coming into something. Some of us are in the middle of something. Some of us are coming out of something. Our suffering could be physical, some sort of health issue. I know that we have some members here that, that are struggling with health. There's others out there that may be watching who, who don't know where to turn or, or what to do. We struggle emotionally. Some of our suffering could be emotional, relationships. Uh, some of it could be financial, loss of job. Loss of hours. People get their hours cut, especially now with the inflation and everything going on. Uh, some of us is career change, either by choice or by not having a choice, but having to change their career. But our outlook on our situation only looks demoralizing and devastating and hopeless without Jesus. <clears throat> Excuse me. My story is hopeless without Jesus, and my story just didn't turn into unicorns and rainbows by any stretch of imagination after Jesus saved me. But here's what did happen. The author of my story was replaced. Replaced with a new author, and now my story is in the process of being rewritten just like yours. 
Once we accept Christ, our stories are changing because once we are heading down a road to death and destruction, but as soon as Christ picked us up and saved us, not on our own, but by Him, that changes our story, it changes our direction, and it changes our trajectory of where we're going. So our story is being rewritten right now, even as we speak. So now, just so I'm very clear, my life did not get easier. If anything, in many ways, it got much more difficult. It still hurts, but instead of feeling hopelessness, I feel hope and content and comfort. So how are we supposed to endure the pain, the distress, hardship of suffering? I'm glad you asked. (laughs) 1 Peter 4.16 says, Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but but let him glorify God in that name. Let's look at this verse a second. We see here, but let him glorify God in that name. That name is talking about the name Christian. Christian Christian means Christ follower or follower of Christ. We are to endure suffering as Christ endured. Verse 12 and 14 are very clear. Look what it says. Do not... I'll repeat this. Do not be surprised as though something strange was happening to you, but rejoice, be glad when His glory is revealed. So when we're going through something, don't be surprised that we're there. God knew we were going there. That's why Peter wrote this to the believers in in that time, because they were going through suffering. They were going through ridicule. They were going through a hard time. But God knew, and so He... That's why Peter wrote this. 1 Peter uh, 2, 20-23 says, For this we have been called. This what? Called to what? We have been called to suffer. I know that kind of seems foreign, but we have been. We have been called to suffer. You're probably asking yourself, what do you mean we have been called to suffer? That's exactly what I'm saying. We've been called to suffer. 1 Peter Chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. I'll repeat that. Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin so as to live for the rest of time in the flesh no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. Amen? This is telling us we will no longer desire to live for ourselves, but we will desire to live for doing the will of God. Now, let's be clear. We will not be perfect at this. Okay? We won't be perfect at this. So don't be discouraged. But it says that we will have the desire... We will no longer desire to live in the flesh and for ourselves, but we will desire to live for doing the will of God. It's saying that God will give us this desire. This isn't something that we're going to naturally want to do on our own. 
And this isn't going to be easy. It's part of the process. You're probably asking why. The answer is because Christ did. How can I do it? My natural, urge, my natural reaction is to fight or act out in some way. Well, i got six points here. Number one, when we are in the situation, don't sin. Remember, God knew you were going to be there. He isn't surprised, so you shouldn't either. Satan will do everything in his power to cause us to doubt God and cause us to sin. So fight this natural urge. And I'm going to read Job uh, 1, 8. And the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job, that there, are, there is none like him on earth, a blameless, upright man who fears God and turns away evil? See, Job, God knew where Job was going to be at. God knew where Job was going to be at. And so we should realize that God knows where we're at. Number two, am I yelling? I don't mean to be. It's just my natural thing. <sighs> Number two, don't misrepresent the truth. What's truth? Who does Jesus say he is? He says he's the way, the truth, and the life. John 14, 6 says, Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Don't misrepresent Jesus. Don't fall into Satan's trap and cloud our thinking to convince us we have the power to change it ourselves. We don't have the power. We have the power through Christ. We don't have the power on our own. It's through Christ. Let's look at, uh, I'll read uh, Mark chapter 1, verse 12 through 13. And it said, The Spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness, and he was in the wilderness forty days, being tempted by Satan. And he was with wild animals, and angels were ministering to him. Jesus knows what it's like to be tempted by Satan. He gives us the strength and gives us the ability to repel those fiery darts from Satan when we're. So don't be afraid. Don't misrepresent Jesus. Number three is kind of my. is for me personally. Watch your mouth. Watch what you say. And this is personally hard for me. Um. Because if it comes into my mind, it's coming out my mouth. It just happens. I don't realize it until it's too late. Satan wants us to have a negative response. This makes him happy. So when your brother or sister in Christ comes to you and say, Hey man, I see you're struggling with this. One of our natural reactions is be like, Oh, man, just leave me alone. Or, you know, you're at work and you're around somebody and they know you're a Christian and they call you out on it, and you get upset. Watch your mouth. Watch what you're saying. It matters. Because every time we mess up, it puts a smile on Satan's face. Number four is pray. 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 Fast. 
Be in constant prayer. And when it seems that you are getting nowhere, pray more. Luke 22, 41-44 says, And he withdrew from them about a stone's throw, and knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And there appeared to him an angel from heaven, strengthening him. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat became like great drops of blood falling to the ground. Our church is filled with prayer warriors that do this. And sometimes when you don't want to pray, pray. Because that's what God wants us to do. To press into him. And then uh, Ezra 8.23. So we fasted and implored our God for this. And he listened to our entreaty. See, fasting isn't something special by itself. But fasting is a part and an extension of prayer. So as you are praying and you are fasting, fasting is that extension of prayer that brings us even closer to God. Number five, be in the Word. As we have been going through, as Paul just went through the um, armor of God, uh, be in the Word. Personally, being in the Word has changed my life. Changed my outlook on the way I look at life. I look at scars and I read about real people who went through real things and have very similar scars to mine. And I want to look at a couple of them. We see Job. Job lost everything. He lost everything. He was inflicted with physical pain. Job, he suffered. But he didn't sin, and he never cursed God. We look at Joseph. Joseph was a little full of himself because of his... He was his coat of many colors his dad made for him, and his brothers really didn't like him a whole bunch. His brothers were going to kill him, but instead of kill him, they decided to throw him in a pit and leave him there to die. But instead of leaving their, him there to die, that when they saw the caravan coming past, they kind of like talked amongst themselves and said, hey, let's sell him. So... They sold, Joseph's brothers sold him for 20 shekels of silver. What's that sound like? But God had other plans for him. God gave him the ability to interpret dreams. And through that, God used Joseph to save the world. David, a man after God's own heart. He's the lineage of Jesus. What was David? He was an adulterer and a murderer. He slept with Bathsheba, got her pregnant, felt guilty about it, brought Uriah, her husband, home from the battlefront, tried to get, trick him into sleeping with her, but Uriah stayed faithful and slept with his servants at the gate. Because Uriah wouldn't go into his house and be with his wife, David called, sent to uh, Job, and had Uriah put on the front line, and then told told him, when you put him on the front line, I want you to withdraw. 
So the men withdrew, leaving Uriah in the front, and Uriah was struck down and killed. See, David had his problems, but God still used him. David failed many times, but God was still faithful and still used him. David saw his wrong. He repented. He sought God, and God still used him. We look at the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul was a murderer. He persecuted Christians, and he held the coats of those who killed Stephen, the first martyr. Jesus appeared to him, and he became one of the greatest missionaries. And then the one who just kind of really stuck out to me was Rahab. Do we know who Rahab was? She was a prostitute who hid the, the two spies in her place in the walls of Jericho. Because she hid the spies, she made an oath with them, and they made an oath with her. That these two, for her family's safety, she hung a scarlet thread out her window, and when Jericho was, was destroyed, her and her house was saved. Who is she? Who was she? She was the great-great-grandmother of Jesse. Who's Jesse? David's father. Who is, da who is David's bloodline? Jesus. So Rahab, a prostitute, is in the bloodline of our Savior. These are real people with real problems, and that should encourage us. That's why I say, be in the Word. Life is messy. People are messy, and each one of them were either going through something in the middle of something or coming out of something. And God used each moment of their lives for His purpose and for His will. And number six, rest in Jesus. He did it already. We will not go it alone. Matthew 11, 29, 30, 29 and 30 say, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle, I'm lowly in heart, and you will find rest in your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus has been through it all. And he made us a way. I want to share one more story. This is a story that happened a few years after being saved. I think it was uh, the spring of 2000. I was working in a gravel pit as a night mechanic. And uh, Ann and I had been married for about three years, four years, somewhere in there. Uh, we were new parents. Brienne came. And uh, with my job, I worked crazy hours, like completely insane crazy hours. Um, sometimes they were 16 hours a day. Some were longer than 16. Um, most of the time they were longer than 16 hours a day. We worked six days a week. And uh, being a mechanic on heavy equipment, I was out in the elements and I worked in and around water most of the time because in the gravel pit we washed stone and we made sand so it takes water to actually make them. So I was daily soaked from head to toe with water. Well, in that, um, my scheduled hours were normally noon to 10, but my hours normally ranged from like 9 a.m. in the morning to like 2 or 3 in the morning. 
Sometimes I was leaving work when the day guys at 5 a.m. were coming in, and then I would get a phone call to come in and do it all over again. Sundays quit being about church for me, and it became about sleep, needing sleep because I hardly ever slept. Well, on this one Sunday morning, it was about 11-ish, and trying to get me out of bed and wake me up, I felt like I was hit by a truck, like steamrolled. In the process of getting out of bed, I was trying to get moving and notice a red line running up my leg from my foot all the way up to above my knee. I'll tell you what, it was a good thing that she knew that was bad because I didn't. I was just whatever. I just thought it was the process of the life. But she knew it was bad, and she took me to the ER. Well, needless to say, that started, they started giving me IV antibiotics, and they admitted me in the hospital. I had blood poisoning. And it was like really bad, like I'm talking like really bad. So because of always having my feet wet, I had gotten athlete's feet, and that's what caused my uh, blood poisoning. So I was in the hospital, Anne was going to the cafeteria or something anyway. She was in the hallway, and one of the ladies from church here saw Anne in the hall, and they started talking. So she asked, the the lady asked Anne if she could let the church know, and so... She did. Well, a couple hours later, Eric Duvick and the pastor at that time showed up at the hospital. So while they were there, we talked for a bit. They prayed for me. They left. See, at that time in my life, I was trying to do things on my own. I was very prideful. I had a lot of family stuff going on with my siblings and some crazy stuff going on. And to be honest, my marriage was not healthy. I was, and then on top of that, being in a touchy health scare. See, God used my pain in that moment to bring me back to Him. Because He knew I needed Him, I needed to be reminded. It was painful. It was a painful reminder, a painful reminder of what my old life was like. And what he saved me from. See, I don't know. Excuse me. I don't know what your stories are. What wounds you have or what scars are forming. I don't know what you're going into. I don't know what you're coming out of. I don't know what you're in the middle of. I can tell you this. It will be scary. It will be heartbreaking. And it's going to be painful. I can tell you that for sure. But remember from the beginning when I was talking about wounds, wounds hurt, but they heal. And then we get scars. The scars are the reminders of everything we've been through and everything we survived. 1 Peter 4.19 says, Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will and trust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. I'll read that one more time. Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will and trust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. I'll close with this. While we are here on this earth, we won't know why we got our scars or where they all came from. But when we get home, Each one will be explained.
But one thing I know for certain, one thing I know for certain, God the Father, our Creator, loves us. And His Son, Jesus, has the scars to prove it. Let's pray. Father God, as we come before Your throne, Lord, we ask that You search our hearts and our minds. I ask, Lord, that You help us seek You in the times of our suffering. As we prepare for communion, we ask that you would reveal anything we are hiding or holding and leave it at the foot of your cross. Lord, we thank you for everything that you do for us. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen.
Ah.